This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 141 and another installment of Classic Rebel Radio, where we revisit an episode from the past while I'm on maternity leave. Today, we are revisiting the interview I did with Kelsey Miller, creator of the Anti-Diet Project at Refinery29 and author of the book Big Girl. I chat with Kelsey about her journey out of disordered eating, what she learned about herself from giving up dieting, and how she moved from the role of sidekick to leading lady in her life. This episode originally aired on January 6th, 2016, and I will be answering a listener question on what to do if you are afraid of people judging your weight gain. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 141. And just as a reminder, I'm on maternity leave until spring 2019. So the episodes you're hearing here originally aired in the first two seasons of the podcast. They are some of your favorites and some of mine. So I hope you enjoy listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. Before we begin, let me give a shout out to Demigoddess Jess, who left this awesome review. I'm so grateful to have found Summer and her podcast. I found a community that feels like my first step to freedom from a relationship with food that has gotten in the way of my life. Your podcast remind me of the effortless, peaceful way I used to relate to food in my body as a child. It makes me believe it's possible to get back to that one day. Thank you, Summer. Oh, that's awesome. Such a good review. You can leave a review by heading to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, then click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating. That helps others to find this show and the information that you're learning here. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show via iTunes. Just click that little subscribe button or whatever platform you use, including Spotify, to never miss an episode. And don't forget to grab the free 10-day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. First, I'm going to answer a listener question from Rachel. Rachel writes, I have so much anxiety surrounding seeing people I haven't seen in several years because they will see that I don't look anything like the thing girl I was six years ago. This worry of their discovering what I actually look like and trying to understand how I've gained this much weight holds me back from social engagement, which I know I wouldn't mind otherwise. For instance, I'm going to a friend's wedding with my husband soon and I'm dreading what I will have to wear and how I will look in the pictures. How can I get a handle on this fear of people seeing me the way I look now? Thank you so much for submitting this question. This can be really hard. And I think it's really hard for people who have gone through any kind of weight change because our society really has conditioned people to judge us and value us based on how we look. And I would love to say that there's a lot of people out there that don't and the people in your life who truly love you aren't going to judge you for that. 
which I do believe that part is true. But I do know that we do come under scrutiny when our bodies have changed because our we have been told that that's that has meaning attached to it, even though we know that that meaning might actually be a positive thing. In your circumstance, it might mean that you've got more freedom in your life now, that you're not imprisoned by dieting or disordered eating. And so rather than having you get a handle on the fear, I'm going to encourage you to make yourself feel as comfortable as possible and know that that fear is going to be there anyways and do the scary things that you need to do to start to feel more comfortable just being around people that you haven't seen in a while. So I don't think we can eliminate that fear because it's real. I mean, it's a, it's a threat. It feels really threatening when we're afraid of people rejecting us. I can't remember what book it was. Uh, I think it might have actually been The Buddha's Brain, which talks about how experiencing rejection has the same physiological impact in our body as a root canal. So it's real, like this is real stuff. So, uh, you know, I don't want to invalidate your feelings. Your feelings are totally valid in this circumstance. And it's okay to be afraid of this. But we don't have to let that fear get in the way of us living our life. That's what I believe. So we can acknowledge that there's fear there. And we can feel it and do the thing anyway. Because our inner critic, the the voice that tells us that people are going to be judging us, people are going to be thinking these things, that's going to show up anytime we're stepping outside of our comfort zone. And anytime that we're seeing people we haven't seen in a while, or we've experienced the body changes and we're around people that haven't seen those changes, that's outside of our comfort zone. So it's natural to have negative thoughts around it. It's natural to have assumptions that people are thinking things, and it's natural to feel fearful. But there's some ways that we can work through that. So number one, and this is seems kind of like a superficial recommendation off the bat, but get clothes that make you feel good. So especially Rachel, you mentioned you're going to this wedding. Make sure that you have something that just makes you feel really good. That's going to put you in a better position to just feel more comfortable with you. And that may seem like a really, you know, superficial recommendation, but There is a lot of power in clothes that make us feel comfortable and make us feel good. Another suggestion I have for you is to take pictures now. So I would take pictures of yourself now so that you normalize how you look in pictures. And uh, my colleague Vivian McMaster is a master at this. (laughs) That was no pun intended. And uh, she teaches people how to use selfies and self-portraiture in order to uh, build up a a sense of compassion with ourselves and acceptance of our bodies. Um, I will be re-airing her podcast episode very soon, but the original airing was episode number 56, so you can go and find it there, but it's going to be re-airing in a couple weeks. Anyways, this this is her area of mastery, so if you want more support around like how to normalize how you look in pictures, then definitely check out some of her programs, some of her work. But in the interim, I think what you can do is just take pictures of you so that you know what you look like in a photo, and that's going to help you be more comfortable with seeing yourself when the photos come out from when you've hung out with your friends or when you've been, when you were at the wedding. Number three suggestion I have is to really have compassion for yourself and for the part of you that is genuinely afraid of judgment here. So there's a part of you that is terrified of being judged. And maybe you can relate to that. Like maybe you remember feeling that way when you were a kid. So you can kind of think about yourself like a kid version of yourself that's really terrified of like, what are all the other kids going to think and say about me? And I would encourage you to ask yourself, what would you say to that? 
part of you? You know, what what would you say to a younger version of yourself that is really afraid of people judging her? And this is a good journaling exercise, but it's also just a way that you can cultivate compassionate self-talk because compassion is really what helps us move through these moments of fear. So it's not about saying like, you're going to be fine. Everything's fine. It's about saying, I know you're really scared right now, but we're going to do this anyways and everything's going to be okay. So it's a, it's more of a gentle approach than the, than uh, trying to really like positively self-talk your way through it. So those are some tools that I would suggest using. And then just some thoughts I have about judgment. It's really important to avoid assumptions or mind reading. I think we often think people are thinking things and maybe they are, maybe they aren't though. And if we can really call ourselves out when we're making an assumption or mind reading, that can go a long way. You know, like what is the, how do I know they're thinking that? And if they are thinking something about you, know that whatever someone thinks of you, it really only gives you information about them and our culture. So they've been conditioned to think weight gain equals something, you know, whether it's, oh, this person like must have let themselves go or whatever horrible thing our culture has taught us about it. That is what they they have been indoctrinated into the same system that we were indoctrinated to. So I'm not asking you to necessarily like forgive them or have compassion for them, but know that it says nothing about you as a person. And it only speaks to their beliefs that they've been conditioned to participate in and believe. And people who love you are going to value you and not care about your body size. Honestly, if you have people who you think love you, but they are valuing you or judging you based on your body size, those are not your people. And you need to find people who do value you for you. And my other uh, tactic that I want to say is do the hard thing anyways. So it's really important for you to go and focus on having the best time possible. So what do you want to focus on instead of what other people might be thinking? Do you want to focus on catching up with friends you haven't seen in a while? Do you want to focus on the music, uh, the experience, like whatever you want to focus on and really direct your attention toward those things and be intentional. And, you know, anytime we do something hard, I think it's important to have like a bit of a pump up routine. Again, this sounds like a really cheesy recommendation. But if you think about yourself, like I know when I was younger, when I used to get ready to go out to party, which is something I haven't done in a long time, but I used to like blast music and like, you know, get ready and make my, you know, put on stuff that made me feel good. And it would go a long way towards just getting you into in the mood of doing something like that. And so I think if you could have some kind of like routine that you do before you go to meet up with these friends that just pumps you up and makes you feel good, whether it's like you play certain music or you... I don't know, like you take a shower or whatever, like whatever's going to make you feel good. And then take up space. So really know that you deserve to take up space, you deserve to be present, and you deserve to have a good time. And it's going to take practice to get to this point. But every time you do it, every time you see people you haven't seen in a while, every time that you go to an event that you're afraid to go to, that's going to give you more confidence. That's going to give you the resiliency to know that you can get through those instances. And the first one always feels the hardest. It's still going to feel hard the second time. But over time, it's gradually going to get easier. It's going to be more inside your comfort zone. And you're going to realize that everything's okay. And so it's practice. So we don't want to get rid of the fear. We can't get rid of that fear. The only way to do that is to make it a new comfort zone by working through the fear and moving through the fear. So I hope that helps. I hope everything goes well with it. And just remember that whatever people think of you is really not a reflection on you at all. Okay, let's dive into this episode with Kelsey. I think this is going to inspire you to just go out and live your life and be the leading lady as she saw, as she says in this interview and in her book, Big Girl. 
Hello, everyone. I am beyond excited for today's guest. I have been cyber stalking this woman for a long time, so I'm honored that she's a guest here. Today on the show, I have Kelsey Miller. She is a senior features writer at Refinery29, and you may know her as the creator of the Anti-Diet Project over at Refinery29, which became one of their most popular franchises and won multiple awards, including Body Image Hero of 2013 from the Huffington Post. She has just released her book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, which is the hilarious and remarkable memoir of a 21st century woman, Kelsey, reclaiming her life, beginning with her complicated relationship with food. Big Girl chronicles Kelsey's journey from self-loathing and disordered eating to food acceptance and overall mindfulness. Welcome to the show, Kelsey. Thank you so much. What a lovely welcome. My goodness. I feel <laughs> I feel very over important at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, your book is awesome. I know we were just talking about this offline, but I um, I read it from front to back this weekend, and I thought it was so great, so honest, so raw and hilarious, and uh, I'm excited for you to share your story with the world and with my listeners today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much, me too. It's like, it it feels very real to hear you say that, Um, so, and I really appreciate the kind words, I really do. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's pretty crazy to just have this going out to the world, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's one thing to be, you know, sitting in, in your bed or in Starbucks for, you know, a year and a half, just frantically typing away and thinking, yeah, no, it's fine. You know, it, it's, it's, it's whatever, it's what I'm writing. And then, and then all of a sudden it, do, it doesn't really feel like a book. It took me about a year to feel like it was an actual book to see like pages, you know, bound together. Yeah. I still didn't quite buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, like I said, I mean, I ate it up like a delicious piece of cheesecake. And so I have so many questions for you. So I'm going to just start Great. firing away. Cool. I would love to start from the beginning because you, you spent, you know, more than half of your life, like 20 years dieting and you've been yeah. through so many different programs, which you chronicle in the book. But the initial one that you talk about where you were told to lose 10 pounds in two weeks at the age of 11 was probably the most shocking as a reader to, to see that. Can you talk about that experience and how that first diet influenced your relationship with food going forward? Yeah, I mean, that was at once the first time I had been sort of publicly called out for, for my, my weight in, you know, by adults, by people that weren't my classmates. And so in that sense, it was very, uh, humiliating, like on a deep degree. I mean, my mother was there and I felt so busted, but it was also one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is it. This is the rallying cry. And this is, this is what I need to just like shape up, you know? So it was, it was almost like, I felt like I hit my bottom at 11 and was like ready to, to, to get my shit together. And all I needed to do was to be told by somebody to, to do it really. And I mean, then it became this transcendent experience where really and truly, you know, every, what we all sort of not so secretly believe when we're going on a diet is that like every single thing will be better Mm -hmm. once because of this diet, because it's going to change your body. And because, and and then, and then it did, it absolutely did. I lost 30 pounds in two weeks and I, because I was 11 and because they were prom, it was, you know, it was talent agents who had told me to lose this, this weight. And you know, when you're 
an 11 year old kid who just wants nothing more than to be a Broadway actress, like, you know, you're going to do it and you're going to do it fast. And it didn't matter. Food just like it just it, it was it was just, you know, getting through the day to get to my next way in, you know, and and. I, I had no problem just eating like cucumbers and lemon yogurt. And I think there was like, I think that's when I started eating carnation instant breakfast, but it was like, all I really remember are like peeled cucumber slices and lemon yogurt. And that's basically it. And, wow. uh, so yeah, I mean, when, when you're, uh, you know, a child and you have that, your body, you have that physical ability and I had that drive and I mean, I got so skinny so fast and I had all these new clothes and I got, um, I suddenly was like seen by my classmates as, as a girl. I was like the hot new student from, with these people I'd been in school with since kindergarten. And, um, you know, <clears throat> As I say in the book, I got huge validation both from my mother and from these talent agents. But in the end, you know, I did not become a child movie star or a Broadway actress. Mm -hmm. It didn't it didn't happen. Um, and so I, 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 I it just fell apart after that. You know, I couldn't maintain that kind of mania, uh, which is really what it was for very long. And so. Then, of course, it became the dragon that I continually chased. You know, I was just like, I just got to get back in that zone, that magical zone where I don't really need, I, I don't need to care about food. And all I, I just need to sort of do it because I've done it before and I can do it again. And of course, it never was like that, that magical again. And of course, I gained way more weight back after that happened. Yeah, that really planted the seed, you know, like I think and I think at such a young, impressionable age when you can sort of go through this experience where like you believe everything in your life will be better. And then it is yeah. like, how, you know, the way that that programs your brain to and as you put it, like, quote unquote, the manic power of skinny, oh. like it gave you all that kind of power and validation <clears throat> that you really at the root of it were craving Um and then that set you on this path for like 20 years to like try and get back into that zone again. Yeah. Yeah. That magical zone, you know, where, where everything is possible and your body is just sort of shocked. You know, it's a shock to the system in every single way. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, n I never did, but you know, I can't say that I felt anything but wild joy, you know, during, during that time. And then of course the crushing defeat after was just, deeper than any shame I had ever felt. And that's how diets work, right? Like it's, yeah. you get to that point where you feel that crushing defeat, that shame. And that's, that's how they catch you to go back in again. Cause that's the only way you know how to get rid of it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, I, I feel sort of like a conspiracy theorist when I talk about, you know, big diet, the big diet industry, no. who's, you know, trying to get us, but it's true. It's of course, it's absolutely true. It's like, the, it's the most effective built business model ever. It gets, it's, it's already ingrained in us. And yeah, of course, when you fail and you fuck up, you, that's the, that's the only thing you want to do. The, the only solution is another diet, you know? Yeah. And there's always another diet. <laughs> Yeah, there, there, and you went through so many of them. Too. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the book, you really talk openly about how, as long as you had been conscious of having a body, you felt like there was something wrong with it, and there was too much of you. And the one thing that really stood out to me was that you said no one found this more offensive than my mother. How did your mom influence your relationship with your body? 
Well, God, I mean, isn't that everybody's story? I mean, how much time do you have? <laughs> You're like, I wrote a book on it, didn't you know? <laughs> no, 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 because it's not, it's certainly, she wasn't the only influence on my body, but of yeah. course, my mother, everybody's mother, it's like, it's the person you just want to be adored by, and you want to be the most loved in, in their eyes, and I think she was really frustrated. Um, you know, I, I really don't think it never came from a place of like, you know, you have to be skinny because, you know, uh, that's how I want you to look and stuff like that. I think it was just like, this is a, this is a problem and you know, it's, it's a problem to be solved. And like, why, why, why can't you just stop? Why can't you stop? You know? And, and I'm pretty sure she was afraid for me. Uh, at least, you know, that certainly came out much more with both my parents uh, later in life because I really wasn't overweight, you know, when I was a small child. Uh, I just really believed so. And, you know, I, I'm, not really sh I'm not really sure. I think my mom probably saw me, you know, I, I had a very early adolescence and I went through a lot of, like, change and trauma when I was a little kid. And I think certainly that... Um, <clears throat> had an influence on my on my relationship to food and, and to my body in a very tangled way, which I go into in depth. And, and uh, you know, I think that she thought she was doing the right thing by, by trying to help me, really. Mm -hmm. And every time, and I wanted to, I wanted her to help me. I wanted her to, to, to put me in line. You know, all I really wanted was somebody to tell me what to do and what not to do. But, you know, as soon as those rules are in place, it's like they're, they're absolutely made to be broken. And so that's what taught me how to sneak. And I got very, very good at sneaking. And then, you know, if I ever got caught, it was just like the most giant infraction. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it really, I'm sorry, I'm saying this in a really roundabout way, but I really think it started with, with my mom with just, those little tiny looks at the dinner table of like, you know, do you really need that second helping of potatoes? That kind of thing where maybe if I had been, I don't know, an adult and not her child and not a small, you know, like a vulnerable little kid, it might not have been so crushing to me. But in my mind, it was just like, I just can't get this right. I can't get in. I cannot get in good with her. Mm -hmm. And this is, this, this is the only thing that, that I, that I need to fix in order to get her to totally, totally accept me and totally, totally love me. And of course she did totally love me, but you know, I, I think, I think this is just a really difficult and complicated dynamic with moms and with daughters. And, you know, certainly there was other stuff going on with, with my mom, uh, during this time as well. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's really hard. So I, I don't let her off the hook, but I do have empathy as well for her, you know? Yeah. You know, it's so good that you can see that. Cause I do think at the heart of it, a lot, most of the time moms are really just trying to protect us in a way that is not always effective for our mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. And I know you mentioned like, you know, you would get approval from your mom when you dieted. And so, you know, how, how was it to, to break, as you got older, to break free of that desire to gain her approval? Oh man, I don't, I don't know that that's a hundred percent gone. I mean, I think in practice it absolutely is. Um, and I'm certainly not actively seeking my mother's approval now, mm -hmm. but 
there's, there's still, you know, I still have that feeling when I, when I see her from time to time of like, oh my God, is she going to see, you know, what is she going to think of my body right now? You know? So that, that's a part of it. But yeah, I think to be set free from that, I mean, part really the way that I had to do it, the final nail in that coffin was making this big life change. You know, this very big, it's not like I just like quietly gave up dieting and, and just started eating normally. No, I like made a grand declaration, <laughs> started a column, you know, I have a new journey and I wrote a book and everything like that. Like I had to do it. It's yeah. hard. <laughs> I had to make a very sort of big production of the whole thing. And, um, you know, I, I think that doing that in, in this big demonstrative way and also getting, getting, making connections with other people through doing that, through writing the column is, is what helped, uh, sort of loosen, loosen that, tie between me and my and my mother's disapproval of me Mm -hmm. sure yeah for sure yeah I mean I think there's so much shame in this in like for women who are trapped in that dieting cycle like and and with who have the issues with you know not feeling comfortable in their body and so for you to you know share that and gain that support and that momentum and really turn it into like this movement as opposed to just, you know, your journey. Um, I imagine that would be just like this incredible support system that you, that you, you know, had for, for yourself. So let's talk about that a bit. So, you know, you mentioned the breaking point being when you were 29 years old and like you're working out with the trainer Mm -hmm. and that was the moment you were done with dieting. What was, (laughs) what was going through your head at that time? I think it was sort of the apex of all that, that shame and, and not just shame in front of him. Yeah. Cause it was very emblematic of like, you know, middle school gym class and stuff where I'm just like, once again, not, not, you know, I'm still failing gym and I'm almost 30 years old, <laughs> you know, and, and that's terribly embarrassing. And, and, and then it was also this feeling of physical discomfort and, and it was almost like having a, an anxiety attack and an epiphany at the same time where I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm stopping. Cause I, I actually can't, I couldn't run anymore and I couldn't feel this way anymore. You know, I, I had, my whole life had been structured around the dieting cycle and totally controlled by my self-loathing up until then. And I'd really been stuck in this kind of limbo. And by the time I got to this run, I'd sort of managed to make a bit of a life for myself and really like frantically catch up to all the over, you know, with all those milestones that I'd missed, I'd started dating really late. I, I'd started my career really late. And now that I had those things, I found that I couldn't do the dieting anymore. And I also couldn't do the self-loathing anymore because when you are, you know, sort of getting jazzed about your career and trying to advocate for yourself and move forward, you can't really do that and be like, but I'm a piece of shit. And you can't be, I was in my first like committed loving relationship. And really, I think that was a huge, uh, a huge catalyst because as I say in the book, I think what I found is that you can love somebody else before you love yourself, but it is really uncomfortable for both of you. And it was like this constant, um, you know, stalemate between us with this person who, who loved me and loved my body and yeah, not just accepted me, but like was so psyched about me and my body. And I was like, 
all the time just being like, why? And what is wrong with you? And like, you must have this crazy fetish or something like that. And, you know, I, I, I realized in that moment, it all kind of crystallized, you know, maybe that is the magic of exercise when you have an epiphany on the Stairmaster <laughs> or something like that. Um, that, that my, my life and my, you know, relationship with food and my body were not going to work together anymore. And I don't even think it was a choice between my dieting and life. I mean, I had to choose, I had to choose my life. So I had to give it up. And, um, I'd had that, you know, vague sense I'd heard of intuitive eating before, but you know, it all seemed very fake almost and like not real and just kind of like hippy dippy. And I'm like, I can get hippy dippy, but you know, when it comes to, you know, I'll do that when I'm thin, obviously I'll do that when I'm thin, you know, and when I, you know, when I meditate and, um, you know, all those other things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but really, um, I, I think that my mind hung on to that sort of that, that title for a really good reason. And that's really what dawned on me when I had that moment of a uh, radical, uh, shift, you know, away from dieting and that sort of grand renouncement of dieting and, and, uh, the way that I treated myself. It's amazing how the universe can just like smack you over the head and just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> let's, yeah. let's change this. Uh, that's awesome. So you went to work with an intuitive eating coach and one of the first things she asked you about is what asks you about is whether or not you'll be okay if you don't lose weight. What were you thinking when she said that to you? Um, I was thinking that like, I know the answer that she wants to hear is like that is yes. I'll be just fine. And I've totally, totally accepted my body because I, you know, uh, made the decision to do so. But really, you know, I did still, I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't okay with that. I, I had to lose weight by doing this over and over again. She asked me, yeah, what do you have to do to trust this process and to lose weight by, I said to lose weight by doing it. And, you know, it took a lot of us doing those rounds for the message to really sink in that if, if, that is the primary focus. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I don't want to say it's not going to work because that's a very sort of diety term, but it's like, it's going to take a really long time for these practices and for this mentality shift to really, really happen. You have to sort of act as if, you know what I mean? Even if you can't totally, totally, uh, make the shift, um, to, to, you can't, you can't just automatically stop caring about weight. I don't know if, if you, if somebody's got that plan, I'll sign up for it right away. Um, <laughs> I'd be a millionaire if I had that plan. <laughs> I know. Can I just have like a little, is there some kind of surgery, you know? Um, but, but really I had to, I had to take a leap of faith over and over and over again. Um, that, that, I, I could, I could decide not to focus on weight. And when I did that, that's when she, she was right. I mean, the, everything started to sink in. My relationship with food started to ease. And certainly I, I found myself eating in an entirely different way. And, you know, as I did say in the book, yeah, when I really held my feet to the fire and, and asked myself if, if, all that other garbage around food and obsessive exercise and constant, constant self-loathing and not being able to look at myself in the mirror. Um, if, if I got rid of all of that somehow and wasn't thin, if, if somehow thin wasn't solution to all of that, then yeah, yeah, I could, 
I could accept that, but I wasn't going to tell her that in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're honest about that because, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a common thing and I think it's like, it would be unrealistic to think that you can let go of something that, you know, you've been desiring and chasing and that you've intertwined with all of these expectations for yourself for mm -hmm. like 20 years um, mm -hmm. to just say like, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm ready I mean, to let that go. <laughs> I know. I think the thing that we all have to, you know, that I, I, I write these pieces and I see these pieces more and more from people who do like body, who do body positivity and, and, and intuitive eating work, which is like, you know, even though you've made this decision, it doesn't mean that your brain is, is going to magically, you know, create new neural pathways in that instant. You have to really practice it. You know, it takes a really long time. You can, you can change the way that you eat and you can look at yourself and deliberately say, you know, positive or accepting things. But that mentality is still in your brain. I'm still going to look at a potato and see it for Weight Watchers points because that's still there. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, I have to practice uh, adding new thoughts into that equation. Yeah, I hear you. Like I did the zone diet for um, a couple years and like it, I can't look at things without thinking that they're, you know, the blocks, which is their equivalent of points. Mm -hmm. And it took me years to really stop seeing food that way. And sometimes it'll still pop up more in a joking way. But like, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it did. It took years and years for that to go away. And so, you know, the process for you moving into intuitive eating, you describe it as like feeling kind of foreign and you mentioned you had to give yourself permission to eat and not diet over and over, which I think is important people for people to know that it wasn't just like, all right, I'm doing this. Now I'm an intuitive eater. Um, so how was that process for you? Um, I would say, you know, permission to eat is something that is, is, uh, uh, is still in my life. You know, I mean, the thing that that it, with intuitive eating, yeah, there are like chapters in the book and, you know, you might look at them and think these are steps, you know, these is one leads to the other, but the, it really isn't the case. You know, they're, they're sort of more like pillars, you know, permission to eat and body acceptance and, uh, you know, gentle nutrition and the whole, the whole shebang. And I have to go back to all of those different things, uh, quite frequently because when I'm feeling insecure or really stressed out, of course, old habits, they, they come a calling and, and that's what your brain and your body knows. And it's really easy to, uh, you know, not, not really backslide, but to, to have that stuff, uh, come up. And in those moments when I find myself sort of stressing out over a particular food item, I have to say, Oh, you know what? Do I have full permission to eat this? Do I really, really have full permission to eat this? And, that was what it was like in the beginning was seeing all the things that I did not have full permission to eat and all the things that I felt like a super special, pretty, pretty princess for eating like kale and cabbage and, you know, other things that, you know, if you eat a lot of them, it gives you a really bad stomach ache. Um, I had to really, I had to really look at my food judgments in a very, um, mindful way. You know, there's a big difference I think between hypervigilance and mindfulness and making that switch mm -hmm. from, and also the switch from sort of like judgment of your food to curiosity about your food, which I think is really important. Um, was, was it, was a difficult practice, but when I did it, you know, then that was the beginning of food neutrality. And I just had to do it with every sort of every meal that came across my plate. And yeah, it did become easier, become more, it became more instinctual, you know, with, uh, things like, as I said, like potato products, it was a big bugaboo for me. And, um, 
I had to, to really practice mindfulness with eating them and really being aware of my, of my food judgments around them. And now I'm pretty good with potatoes, you know, Mm -hmm. they're just food. (laughs) That's awesome. So good. And mindfulness went so much farther for you because, (laughs) you know, as you, as you, um, get to in the book, it really helps you to identify some deeper issues. Um, can you talk about what you call your real drug of choice? Distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, you know, I know I'm not alone in this, but I do think that in a lot of ways I I was sort of an extreme case. I was really, really always hooked on on distraction. It sounds so crazy, but like when I was a kid, I was reading constantly. I was, I mean, in the car, on the playground, any single time there was like a moment of silence I was reading, I would read until the book fell on my face and went to sleep. And then it progressed to audiobooks. And then later when I was able to have my own television, it was television and it was musical theater was a giant distraction. But it, it, again, it wasn't just sort of like consuming entertainment in these moments. It was really getting out of my life, out of my house, out of my body. And that I think was, was sort of, um, okay. When you're a kid, I think you, you are, it's, it's okay to have that imagine that, that giant world of imagination, especially if you're having a hard time as a kid, you need some form of escape, but you know, it really became a crutch for me and it became these more and more distracting habits, uh, became a way for me to sort of hit the snooze button on my life and be like, okay, I'm just going to stay in and watch this movie. And it's a really, really good movie. And it's an important film. And uh, I'm going to do that instead of going out and seeing people or meeting people or dating. And it was also a really good, it worked really well in tandem with a diet because when you're in that diet cycle, you don't really have time for much of a life. At least certainly, certainly I didn't, you know, that's what they all say is like, Oh, you know, it's not, it's lifestyle change. And we want you to be able to like go out and, you know, have cocktails with your friends, like in these commercials here. But I couldn't do that if I didn't have enough points or I didn't have enough, uh, you know, calories left in the day. So I would, I would stay home in my little nest and I would, have the TV on round the clock while I was, you know, baking if I was in a, you know, a bad phase or making really uh, healthy, almost zero calorie soups if I was in a good phase. And then I would listen to podcasts and musical theater and audiobooks when I was walking to the gym and going home. And there was never no sound in my life, never no like narrative in my life. Even listening to music sometimes was was a a problem because it wasn't, if it wasn't transporting enough, if I couldn't like imagine myself into a different world or a music video, literally like as a, as a 27 or 28 year old woman, you know, Mm -hmm. walking around and, and fantasizing like a child rather than engaging in, in my life. And when mindfulness came along and I was, I was eating food without distraction for at least one meal a day, you know, it, as I said, it sort of crept into all these other areas of my life. And I found myself grappling with silence and, and realizing that like, it's a problem if I can't walk five minutes to the subway without a podcast on, it's a problem. You know, I, I I think that it's not heroin, but 
it's, uh, you know, mental heroin. It's mental masturbation really is what it is. And I didn't want to have that crutch all the time because it made, when I, when I, it made my real life feel, uh, shitty, you know, in comparison, it made me constantly comparing my, my real life to the ease and the, you know, extreme beauty of like, of a movie life or something like that. And, you know, actively engaging your life is a lot more complicated than sitting at home and watching somebody else do it or listening to a book about somebody else do it or even reading a book about somebody else do it. So mindfulness uh, really sort of smacked me in the face in a big way in that regard. And I started to practice it in in more areas of my life. And by that, I don't mean like, again, the sort of complicated meditative sounding version of it. I mean like okay, you're going to take out your headphones for the walk to the subway or you're going to eat, you know, two meals without distraction or tonight you're going to try reading 20 pages of a book instead of listening to a book and playing a game on your phone. And that was so much harder than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think um, I love I love the that you came to that realization though because I feel like so... So many women can relate to that in one way or another, you know, for, I mean, for you, it was like the podcasts and the musical theater and and the, you know, the sound, but I think for a lot, you know, for a lot of other people, it's work, it's like an addiction to stress, like it's, um, you know, like even just like social media or always checking their phone, like it's the sense of distraction that takes you away from just feeling yourself. And as you put it, like you, you know, you had to get uncomfortable with feeling, you had to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. Oh yeah. I mean, the power of that is enormous because to be comfortable all the time and to have to be comfortable all the time. I mean, that is sort of an addictive feeling because then when you're sitting in, you know, in silence on the subway and you're crawling out of your skin, I mean, you feel like a a total lunatic. I didn't want to have that. I don't want to be that person. I wanted to be able to get through a goddamn subway ride. My, you know, it's Mm -hmm. ridiculous (laughs) because, you know, it also prevents you from, yeah, feeling the necessary discomfort of life or, or coping with it, you know, really, really developing a sense of I can get through this, you know, and that sense of sense of self-reliance and learning to ride out your emotions rather than dampening them with whatever you can grab and shove into your head or your mouth. Um, that, that, that's a really important lesson. And I think, yeah, we all, we all, social media is a big one. The, the word thing is a big one for some people it's sex and whatever. And, but there's so many ways to just pull yourself out of your life. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I mean, I certainly still <laughs> listen to podcasts and I still enjoy television, but I make a really conscious effort to, to make my life be the biggest part of my life versus, you know, distraction. And I think like dieting is a way to pull yourself out of your life, right? Like it, yeah. it gives you this thin fantasy. Yeah. And so, you know, for you, like you, you know, what was really at the heart of your relationship with your body was like this desire to be seen and to like sit at the cool kids table, quote unquote. And mm-hmm. you had this like perfect fantasy of it. Um, how has that changed for you? Like, how did it feel to kind of, you know, let that go and just sink into like, this is my life and it's not going to feel you know, like this fantasy all the time. Well, it was really crushing at first, I think, because I, I mean, I think everybody is 
you know, this is, this is an easy habit to fall into, but certainly if you're somebody who's lived in the diet cycle where it's always, you're always waiting for when I'm thin, you know, it's very easy to get into that pattern in other ways where it's like, when I have this, when I get to this age and then you have this and then you get to this age and it's not the way you thought it was going to look. And that I think is the biggest lesson of it is it's not the way you thought it was going to look. Yes. And relinquishing that future thinking around everything makes you realize that like your life is pretty great, you know, as it is, you don't, you to, to don't, don't try really hard not to think about, you know, oh, 35 is going to look like this and I will have this, but to, to really, I think get, get a strong understanding of the fact that your, your life might look a little different than, than you thought it would be, you know, that eliminates the sort of the, the crushing feeling when it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would be. I hear about this a lot with vacation, actually. I've been talking about this with friends, you know, where you have that feeling of like, uh, my vacation is going to be so perfect and so relaxing and it's never going to rain. And I'm just going to like lie on the beach and read four books. <laughs> and then you get there and it's not as if your vacation is a disaster, but it's a little different than the way you imagined it would be mm-hmm. not worse, even if it's not worse, but if it's a little bit different, I think your mind kind of freaks out and, and, and thinks it just gets overwhelmed with disappointment and stuff like that. And I think that that's a really good example of how that bleeds into other areas of our life. So now when I go on a vacation, I really try and, and, uh, this is going to sound like really ungrateful, but I try to like lower my expectations or (laughs) at least, (laughs) um, not, not engage too much with the fantasy of the future vacation and get on the plane and go see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that could, that's like a good, that's a good way to live life really (laughs) like in, in every, in every respect, you know, because I think we get so attached to the outcome and the outcome is, is, is. yeah, it's never, it's, it's, it never is like, you know, that the solution to, to all of our problems, like it doesn't take away emotions, you know, like negative and positive it's, and so um, yeah, when we can like really detach ourselves from the outcome and just be present, which is really what mindfulness is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that can really help us to just settle into like, okay, this is my reality and it's okay to not be happy all the time. It's okay to not feel like joyous all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that when you can actually get your head around that, it's enormously liberating and everything feels so much better. That really is when things get better in a real, and in, in that, it not even in the way that like diets promise, because it's not like you are, you know, queen of the world and you have a million dollars the way that you kind of believe you will at the end of every diet, but <laughs> it, it makes everything feel just, just, just better and more calm. And I'm not saying this is like an easy thing to do, but it's a good thing to strive for and to practice. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it certainly is, it totally is a practice and it takes a while. And I think like, it's just, well, I don't think that you ever get there. Like, I think it's just always something you have to be 
mindful of. Exactly. <laughs> and letting go of the there. Yes, exactly. Uh, I love, so I think my favorite part in the book is when you, um, you kind of have this like, fuck that moment. And you, <laughs> so you talk about going from the sidekick to taking the leading lady role in your life and yeah. to step out of someone else's opinion of you and into your own true skin. Mm-hmm. how how did how was that for you how how uh how have you been able to move into that leading lady role for yourself man I mean again first of all it's I'm really glad I did it because when you're constantly thinking of yourself as you know less than somebody else or the sort of sidekick in in the story like my god it's your life what do you what are you doing like what if you're not the leading lady in your own life, which I certainly wasn't, then like, really, what's the point here? And so I did, I did to sort of make the decision to move into my own. It's hard to describe how it happened, but like I was, I was, I was sort of comparing myself to other people, of course. And I was, I was getting criticized basically for how I dressed and presented myself and, um, it took this sort of uh, acute moment at work with somebody who I, who I worked with for me to come to that realization that like, this isn't, this isn't just about other people sort of picking on me. This is about me being comfortable being picked on and really allowing that habit to continue in my life and frankly enabling it because it is more comfortable. And the other thing about being the sidekick or, you know, the funny fat friend is there's a lot less pressure and it's a, it's a lot, you can sort of, you know, absent yourself from the picture whenever you want. Cause you're not that important. And I had to really accept, accept the fact that like I have, I have agency. Um, this, this is my life. I am the person in control of the situation. And that means I am responsible for how people see me, see me and how people treat me. And, uh, you know, if I don't want to take shit, I, I have to sort of, you know, do that for myself as opposed to wait for some like buddy to come and stick up for me or inject me with self-esteem and tell me how wonderful I am. I have to really learn how, how to do that on my own. Cause we, cause we all do. And, uh, yeah, you know, so it's really, you know, the decision to be an adult as opposed to like a child with no, with no agency anymore. And, you know, as we all know, being an adult, I think is way better than being a kid because you have um, a say in your own life. And for that same reason, it's a lot more uncomfortable because you're the only, you're the only boss. You're the boss. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of my favorite quotes was you teach people how to look at you. Yeah. You do. Um, I, I think that that is a complicated, a complicated feeling because when you are walking around presenting yourself as somebody who, uh, you, as somebody who'd rather be in the background, then that's how people will look at you. And I felt very sort of like, put upon by that. And I felt sort of, oh, I'm being shuffled to the sidelines because I, you know, my body and I'm not pretty enough and stuff like that. And really I had to own up to the fact that like, that's, that's on me to a degree. Yeah. I mean, we all deal with cultural beauty standards and biases and bullshit like that, but 
I mean, if if I if I get up and walk out the door, and you know the way that I the way that I dress, if I'm dressing in, dressing in something that uh, I really enjoy and feel physically comfortable in, and feel confident in for whatever reason, um, then I'm gonna I'm gonna have a better day, and that's again that's on me. It's all on me. Whatever you whatever you put on your body, however you speak to people, however you talk about yourself. That's how you teach people how to interact with you and to look at you. And, um, again, nobody's, nobody's going to be able to do it for you. And that's difficult and a bummer, but it also gives you the power over your own life. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of like being rambly here, but I think it's because I'm really still dealing with this situation, especially as like I'm going into these weeks of like, uh, you know, the book promotion. And I feel like I'm getting, you know, sort of more attention than I've, than I've ever, uh, dealt with. And, you know, of course this is like the attention that you always dream of and you want people sort of reading my book and liking it and wanting to talk to me about it. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I just want to put on sweatpants and stay home. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. You know? (laughs) Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, not in the same scale at all whatsoever, but I, I had a book that came out like uh, this past month and, um, yeah, it was like traumatizing. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and sometimes like all the positive emotions can feel like negative, like too much positive can almost be processed as like, it's overwhelming. It's it's overwhelming. Um, so nobody feels bad for you about that, by the way. It's like, I can't (laughs) tell my boyfriend about it. It's so hard. And he's like, I mean, is it really? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I had to talk to like a friend about it cause, um, uh, who's, who's a life coach where so she like totally got it. Uh, but cause I was like, I was like, why am I processing this? Like, why do I want to cry? Like, I don't understand. I, I should know. be so happy. And so, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's what I'll say is it's probably normal. <laughs> I'd like thank to you. Think. Thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate the validation. <laughs> Um, but no, I love that you're so honest about it. Like, cause I think we're all trying, we're all still trying to deal with this. Like there's no such thing as having it figured out. And I think we'd be liars if we said that we did. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, with that said, like what's, what's your relationship with your body like now? Hmm. Well, it's, it's, um, good. I'd say right now I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I, I think that, but I also recognize that it's all phasic and that's okay. And just because I'm having a good body confidence day doesn't mean I won't have a shitty one tomorrow. And that feeling shitty about myself for a day isn't, isn't a failure. You know, I went through this period where I had gained weight because I was writing the book, which is, you know, as I, as I say, it's, it's not good cardio to (laughs) writing is not good cardio. (laughs) And it's also very stressful, meaning that, you know, a lot of my old, uh, food habits really kind of kept, you know, were coming up in a big way. And that was, that was tough. Um, and I came out the other side of this and I thought, okay, I'm just going to admit it. I'm just going to say it out loud. Like I have gained weight, you know, I declare it, it has happened. I'm not going to hedge on that. And it made me feel, I I felt very uncomfortable in my body because, um, you know, it feels better when, when you are able to exercise regularly, it just does. And it also doesn't feel good to, to gain weight in a somewhat short period of time physically. And certainly it just that change alone 
is difficult, especially when you when you have uh, a, you know, a past with this. And it made me panic for a bit. But I had to make the decision in that moment that like, okay, I can admit to myself that I do not I don't like my body right now. I don't like looking at it. I don't like the way it feels. Um, but I'm making the decision to accept it and to embrace it and love it and, and, and do it. And so, and, you know, every time I walk past a plate glass window, I would make a point of looking at myself and saying, you know, something, something good to myself in my mind, even if it was just like, okay, Hey, I love you. Remember that I love you. It's okay. You know? And that was a really important practice, which is just like, you know, your body is going to change. That is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. And if you can't, if you can't get through that, I, you just, you just, it's going to be really uncomfortable and unnecessarily uncomfortable and unhappy. And so I, I have to practice making a decision to accept myself no matter where I'm at. And, you know, the fact of the matter is I didn't like choke up and go back on it at a diet, which I absolutely would have in sort of <laughs> any other time of my life. Um, I, I just sort of brought myself back to the practices of intuitive eating and, and mindfulness and non-distracted eating and um, getting myself moving again when I had time to to exercise more regularly. And, you know. I'm, I'm feeling better now. I, I mean, I don't weigh myself. I don't really know uh, where, where my weight is at right now, but I know that I feel better than I did a few months ago. And I maintain that, that body acceptance. You know, I, I, I do practice that daily because it's not easy. No, no matter what, it's not easy to like, you know, look at a crappy picture of yourself. But you can have both those things. You can have like, oh, that's a crappy picture. I'm not psyched about it. And, you know, but I love and accept myself, period, end of story. That's it. Yes. Yes. So good. We've come (laughs) such a long way. And um, I really, really thank you for for everything that you do for, you know, for the anti-diet body positive community, um, you know, and for sharing that, uh, on the podcast today and also in your book, I'm super pumped about it. Um, I'm going to link to it in the show notes for this episode, which will be at summer forward slash F R R dash five zero. That's 50. It's episode 50. And thank you so much for all of your time today. Thank you. Um, so wonderful. Yeah. To everyone listening, you can find Kelsey's book, Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life, January 5th, which will be the date that this episode comes out and it will be available. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, anywhere else that I'm missing. Oh, basically everywhere. Anywhere you buy books, it's going to be there. Awesome. That's really exciting. Oh, my God. Yeah. And you can follow Kelsey's journey on Twitter and Instagram at Ms. Kelsey Miller or hashtag anti-diet project. And also check out all of her articles at uh, Refinery29. You can read the entire anti-diet project over there, which is really, really awesome and inspiring. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of your time today. It was awesome chatting with you. You too. Thank you so much. And good luck. (laughs) Thanks. Kelsey's book, Big Girl, is awesome, as you heard me mention. Uh, It's definitely uh, one of the books that I recommend people pick up if they're looking for more of a memoir-type book on giving up dieting. And you can find links to that in the show notes for this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 141. 
Thank you so much for listening today. I'll be back with another classic episode in a couple weeks. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.